A number of you have asked this morning already just how the past week went. We had four from our church, including myself. We went out to our national gathering for our denomination, and uh, it was a, a rich time of worship and learning and being together with colleagues and folks we've been tracking over the years in our, in, uh, our connected church throughout the country. I will uh, provide some more comments in our weekly update and make uh, that offer available to the others who went as well so that you can find more information there. If you're not on the email list for our weekly update, please contact the church office and we'll make sure you get on that list. According to uh, New York Magazine, or at least nymag.com, you can find a brief recounting of the American men's track and field 4x100 relay uh, team's baton passing mishaps. Over the past 15 years, we have seen less than the stellar performance we'd love to be able to see in our athletes. The list goes like this. At the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, a U.S. runner dropped the baton during an exchange. In the 2009 World Championships, two runners exchanged the baton before the passing zone started and the team was disqualified. In 2011, an American runner collided with a British runner in another lane and fell. In 2015, the U.S. team made the exchange after passing the zone and again was disqualified. If there's a way to blow, this is according to nymag.com, if there's a way to blow a baton exchange, the United States men's 4 by 100 relay team has done it. And so going into the 2021 Olympic Games in Tokyo, the team had messed up an exchange at seven of the past 11 Olympics and World Championship meets. Since 2005, the team had either not finished or been disqualified because of a baton exchange failure six times. And unfortunately, all this led up to the 2021 Games, where once again the U.S. 4x100 relay team failed to qualify for the finals due in part to a bumbled baton exchange. Passing the baton is hard. Passing the baton is hard. Once it gets into your mind, once it has this connection and, and you're trying to make that exchange, passing the baton can be a real challenge and not just in track and field. When you go to pass the baton from one generation to the next, that can be a challenge. Will that other generation receive what the previous generation is offering? Will the previous generation want to give up the, the responsibility, the authority, the, the place of leadership? It can be a real challenge passing the baton. That being said, by the accounts we have, the Apostle Paul got something really right in passing the baton. We're currently in a uh, sermon series that we're calling Everyday Christianity with Tim, Titus, and Phil. We're looking at the letters of 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. With uh, Timothy, we know that there's a pastor as with Titus, and so Paul is writing to two uh, protégés of his, two pastors, wanting to empower them to pass the baton on to them. And in Philemon, we have a church leader, and again, insight, wisdom, understanding of the gospel being given forward. Today, 
we're going to uh, talk about grace and endurance. In our passage, we find Paul talking about grace and endurance. Our passage is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I encourage you, please open the Bibles you have with you. Feel free to make use of the ones we have for you in the rows. We'll also throw it up on the screen. Those of you that are participating in worshiping at home, we encourage you to have your Bible available as well. Hear the Word of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to, search, to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Would you join with me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words that Paul wrote to Timothy, and that you arranged for them to be captured and carried from one generation to the next, all the way down to us, that we receive these words, words that we trust your Holy Spirit, your Spirit, has provided for us today. Thank you for this blessing. We ask that you would continue to show your favor as we come under these words together in this time and that your Spirit would use them to transform us more into the image of your Son. We pray all this remembering Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Oil and water. You've heard the expression before, well, they're like oil and water. Two people that don't get along, they're like oil and water, or two things that just don't seem to go together, like they're oil and water. And with a, an apology to all the chemical engineers in the room, I, um, just if you could show me a little patience as I pastor explain this, uh, that we know that uh, um, a water molecule is, has a, a polar sense to it, that there's a little bit of a negative side to one end, a little bit of a positive side to the other. And so it really makes it something that a lot of other compounds, a lot of, a lot of other molecules can attach to. The only problem is oil is a hydrophobic molecule. It'll be a compound that, that is uh, resistant to water because it doesn't have a polarity to it. And so it doesn't want to match and meet up with the water. And so because it's less dense, it'll float on the surface of water. Oil and water, things that don't go together. They just don't match up. And maybe that's when we, uh, we, sense, we sense the same thing when we get to a combination of words like grace and endurance. Isn't that just oil and water? How would you put those together? 
that grace, grace is unmerited favor. It, it is God's free gift. It, it's free. It's a gift. It's unmerited. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. There's nothing we have to do. We just are given it free. And then we talk about endurance. Endurance is hard. Endurance is a struggle. It takes effort and work to endure grace and endurance. In passing the baton, Paul calls on Timothy to bring together grace and endurance. So we'll spend time seeing what Paul has to say. What does Paul say about grace? What does Paul say about grace? Well, even as we've already discussed, it is indeed unmerited favor. It's God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. God acting on our behalf without us having to earn it or deserve it in any way. Well, when we jump into the words of our text, here's what we find Paul saying to Timothy about grace. The first thing is this. Grace is power. Grace is power. We find it this way. We, we find in verse 1, you then, my child, at least in the ESV, here's how it reads, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Maybe you have the New International Version. It reads like this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How could they come to the same, or how can they use the same words and come to two different interpretations? Do you know that both of them are respecting the original language? It comes out in both, both, in both interpretations. You can either take the passive voice, which is what the translators of the ESV did, or you can take the middle voice, is what the translators of the NIV did. And both come out uh, as being connected to the original language. Look what takes place in the ESV. Be strengthened. There's an imperative that's taken, an exhortation. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, the emphasis there is on, see, God is acting. God is the actor. God is the one that is going to be instrumental in you being strengthened. Receive the strength that God has for you in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. In the NIV, it's be strong in. And here, there's a focus from Paul on to Timothy in this translation of saying, listen, you make this choice. You make this choice, but look where the strength still comes from. Be strong in the domain, in the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Christ is still the source of the grace that brings the strength about. Grace is power. Okay, so I had three passages I wanted to, us to look at here, and then I timed myself in my sermon. I had to cut out five minutes. All right, so we're only going to look at one of them. Uh, I grieve this moment because the other two were really good. But let's look at this one. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Here's what we read there. 
Paul writes, here's what Paul writes. He goes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son in, in, into this place, that, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. All, all we had to do was receive with faith that, that God would work and save and provide for. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the insider and to the outsider, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, the, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul, coming from a, a Hebrew background, being, being, uh, uh, being Jewish himself, has an understanding already that, that to be in a relationship with God, one needs to be righteous, that, that it's a calling, that, that all of God's people are called to be righteous. And by God's grace, Paul had discovered that the righteousness of God is available exclusively in Jesus Christ. And he had received that. That's power. That in Christ we have right standing before God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. All right, so if grace is power, we can also discover in our text, in Paul's letter to Timothy, grace is Jesus. Grace is Jesus. Um, Joss mentioned this in, uh, in her words. She, goes, um, she talked about remembering, in our call to worship, remembering she referenced the passage here that Paul talks to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. If we want to know grace, if we want to know God's grace, let's recall who Christ is. Let's recall what Christ has done. Let's remember what Christ has accomplished. Remember Christ, risen from the dead, victorious, the conqueror of death itself. And there's this implication then of also remembering his death on the cross. This sets us right with God. Grace is Jesus Christ. Remember him. He's risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This is not just a new story. This is what God has been doing throughout time. This is what God has been moving toward. The promise given to David, this covenant that God established, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God on the move. This is the God who saves. Grace is Jesus. And he goes on to say, as I preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. Grace is Jesus. I love that next line that he provides. But the word of God is not bound. The good news of the gospel is not bound. The preached word, the proclamation of Christ, the, the words of God in Scripture, the words of God being proclaimed about Jesus Christ, the word of God is not bound. And we find stories of Christ throughout. I recently heard this, whoops, excuse me, I recently heard this term, um, I've often used the word before, Christocentric, and maybe we've tossed that word around that things are centered on Christ. And I, I heard this word on a podcast uh, a couple weeks back, uh, Christotelic. Right now you're going, oh, that's good. Or you're going, what the heck is that? So it, it means that things point toward, it leads to, that it, it is completed in, and that God's work in this world is completed in Jesus Christ. Grace is Jesus. 
All right, so then we find out the third thing is that grace is hope. Grace is hope. We find this in verses 11 and then the first half of verse 12. There's this phrase that Paul uses in 2 Timothy and in Titus, what are known as the pastoral epistles. He uses it there five times, and it's unique to these two letters. He says, the saying is trustworthy. It's kind of Paul's way of going, hey, pay attention to this. We we remember Jesus saying, uh, truly I say to you, and that was a way of saying, hey, pay attention to this. For Paul, hey, pay attention to this. He goes, if we have died with him, and this may have been a part of a, a shared teaching or a hymn or, or some kind of a connection share because pay attention to these words. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Do you get this, this call toward the future? Listen, what we do now has impact in, in the future. This grace that if we remain and stay connected to Jesus Christ, this free gift that God has given us in Christ, it has future to it. Even as it blesses now, even as it has power for today, it has this fellowship with Jesus that it has hope in the future. All right, so all that's good, right? Grace is is power, grace is Jesus, grace is hope. All right, the, there's a big difference, and here I'm sure this analogy is already popping into your brain. There's a big difference between an arc reactor put into use on your suit and an arc reactor that just sits on your desk as a paperweight. All right, so if you don't know what an arc reactor is, look around the room, find one of the nerdiest people you can identify, someone that would really like Marvel comics or Marvel movies, and afterwards you can go up to them and, and, and talk, talk to them. I can even tell now some people are twitching, just hoping somebody asks them about a Marvel movie. Uh, just get your coffee and your donut first. Um, so uh, Tony Stark uh, is in a situation where he gets shrapnel in his chest, and, and he's in, in dire straits that this could kill him. And so they invent this little thing that's this arc reactor, and he puts it on his chest, and it keeps all the metal shards from, from tearing his heart apart. And Well, then it ends up, he has all the shards removed, and, um, and then it simply becomes something that powers his suit. What it basically is is a, a, a fusion reactor you can hold in the palm of your hand. It's not real, by the way. They don't really exist. But there's a difference that you could have one that you would put in your suit and you could do all kinds of things or you can put it on your desk. By the way, on Etsy, you can buy them and put it on your desk. It's not a real one, though. It's just it's paperweight. But here's the analogy, right? So here's what Christians, as we do, a lot of times we treat the grace of God like an arc reactor as a paperweight. We just say, thank you, God, for your grace. I'm going to leave it right here. I'm going to go and live my life. And when I die, I'm glad I have your grace, right there, holding paper down. When what Paul is saying to him, hey, listen, tap into this strength. This is power. This is Jesus. This is hope, this grace that God has for you. It's meant to be power. It moves us forward. I love, and I hear this so much. I, 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 I love this. I love hearing this. Um, someone who's in our congregation uh, who has received a diagnosis and they're struggling through just all that goes along with the diagnosis. And, and I'll hear the comment, um, I don't know how somebody does this without Jesus. 
Or if somebody loses someone that they love and they go through that grieving experience and they say, I, I don't know how somebody does this without Jesus. That's power. But the power of the good news of Jesus Christ isn't meant simply when we have loss or when we have a, a, a physical ailment. Paul is painting out here this picture of you tap into this power for ministry. This is meant to be used every single day of your life. This grace, tap into it and live this grace out. Let it empower you in your relationships. All right, so if that's what Paul says about grace, that grace is power, grace is Jesus, grace is hope. What does he say about endurance? And here, let's begin our conversation with things that we've talked about before. So there's the kingdom of heaven, there's the kingdom of heaven, and the already and not yet. Remember, we've talked about kingdom of heaven before, that uh, Jesus came in this world and he was proclaiming the, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has come near. And we've talked about it before as, like, whatever's true about heaven, whatever's true about eternity with God, that it's pulling that reality into this world. That in Jesus Christ, we experience the rule of God being lived out fully in Jesus Christ. And that as we become followers of Christ, that, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so we live under the rule of God, and we get to represent that kingdom in this world. There's something that's already about that, that we've already received the grace. We already have received the power. We already have the hope. We know Jesus Christ. That's already. The problem is the not yet. There is something about our world that remains broken and sinful, and it won't be until the time that Jesus returns that makes all things new, that makes a new heaven and a new earth. And we, we all then, um, through grace in Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ, that God's children get to enjoy all of eternity with him. But between now and then, it's the already and the not yet. And because there's the already and the not yet, then we have that friction. And there are going to be struggles that need to be endured. The kingdom of heaven and the already not yet means that suffering will occur. This is from John 15, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what Jesus says there. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When it comes to suffering, um, I believe that as Christians, we entertain three options. Three options. The first is this. Justified absence of suffering. Justified absence of suffering. What do I mean by that? So, this would be the case if everybody followed Jesus Christ. It's justified right? There really truly is an absence of suffering that if every single human, everybody believed in Jesus and we're all following him, in fact, this is the reality of heaven, the justified absence of suffering. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. We're told that that's the future, that it lies in the future for us. And it may be that in somebody's life that there can be moments where God uh, uh, protects us from suffering that's going on around us. Yes, that's absolutely, and God makes that happen in micro situations, in moments. 
All right, if that's one option, then we're not in control of that. that. That will happen when God provides for that to happen. The second one then would be the false avoidance of suffering, the false avoidance of suffering. So what do we mean by that? Well, I think that some of us will avoid everything that's controversial, <laughs> that, that our way of avoiding suffering, that even in the name of Jesus, we're just, we're just not going to go there. And so we have this radar on that detects suffering three feet away. And then so we take a hard right or we take a hard left and, and we avoid anything controversial because we don't want to engage in something that might cause suffering, might cause us to have to endure something. Another kind would be that we would side with a tribe, that we would side with a tribe. The way this works out, and one of the biggest tribes people tend to side with, at least in our country, is that we'll either side with uh, all other conservatives or we'll either side with all other progressives. And we go that, that as long as we're with our tribe, as long as we're with our people, we don't suffer as much because everyone around us is just like us. And we circle the wagons and point the finger and, and we say, those people over there, those people over there. And the problem is, is that uh, Jesus was both conservative and progressive. And so he shows up in this world and goes, listen, uh, there's only one God. I'm going to conserve this truth. There's only one God. In fact, I'm going to conserve that he's, he, he makes it known that, that the things he wants us to do is to love God with all of who we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he conserves that. He said, that's true. That's right. And then he's progressive. He goes, listen, you, you thought it was, um, you know, just the Ten Commandments, of, that it was just this external stuff. I'm going to show you. It's deeper than that. And he goes toward people who are hurting and who are suffering themselves and he makes friends with. He, he reaches out to lepers and touches them and he, and he heals people and, and he finds people on the margins of society and he, he lifts up people regardless of gender and he, he, he loves on people. He's both conservative and progressive. And so we're not in a situation where we can just hide in our tribe and avoid suffering. Hey, I'm, I'm just one of these people. I'm not over there. I don't have... We move towards suffering. We, we speak truth. We, we live grace. And, and when we do that in this world, it creates and experiences conflict. So I call this a false avoidance of suffering because even if we avoid everything controversial or if we simply side with our tribe, what we end up doing is that we push God away. We, we kind of put up a barrier. God, I only want this out of you. I like you when you're a paperweight. I, I, I like it when I get to define how you want me to live. And we suffer. In 2 Timothy 2, verses the last half of 12 and, and 13, we find these words. If we deny him, we also, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's interesting with that last verse, verse 13. There are some uh, commentaries that will say that um, this is good news because even when we're faithless, uh, Jesus rushes in and he will be faithful toward us. There are others, though, that will pull to Paul's background and to more toward the Old Testament that, that we know that God is a covenant keeper. And that when God establishes the covenant, there are blessings and curses. And that there is a way that through Jesus Christ we have faith. And when, when it's faith in Christ, but when we're faithless, that 
God still then has to remain faithful to the covenant that He established. Listen, Jesus talked on this stuff too. In John 15, when He talks about that He's the true vine, and then there are branches, and, and that we're the branches, and, and branches that don't produce fruit are meant to be cut off and pruned and tossed in the fire. If you're wondering, am I a, am I a fiery kind of branch or a fruity kind of... That's a good question. Um, I, we know that for Peter, there's the word being actually used for him that he denied Jesus three times, and yet Jesus restored him. So the good news here is that we do have a loving and grace-living uh, God who keeps coming after us. But Paul's word here is... Wait, when we're not aligning ourselves with God, when we're not enduring suffering in His name, when we're not tapping in the grace of God to represent Jesus in this world, we suffer a disconnect with God. So a third option then would be suffering the name of God. Paul writes to Timothy, hey, be a good, good soldier. Don't get involved. You know, a good soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs. A good soldier wants to please his recruiting officer. He talks uh, also about an athlete. An athlete, you know, that if, if the athlete's going to get the crown, she better follow the rules. Talks about a farmer that's a hard-working farmer that should get the first share of the crops. Focus, commitment, working hard. That's, those are words of, of, of commitment and focus and working hard, of enduring, of, of being one who lives out the call of God in this world. We're privileged to serve. We're privileged to serve. And then he says this one more thing on endurance. He says in verse 10, Therefore I endure everything, for the sake of the elect, that they also may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, he passes the baton on this as well. He goes, listen, what I've given to you and trust to others that are faithful, that they would also be able to implement this. Faith, faithfulness, focus, commitment, hard work. Endurance in Christ's name for the well-being of the gospel spread in this world the well-being of the elect. Passing the baton. Grace is our source of strength for enduring suffering as we exhibit Christ in this world. Grace is our source of strength for enduring suffering as we exhibit Christ in this world. Timothy had Paul. Paul told him it's grace and endurance. You, this congregation... You have each other. You have Bible studies. You, you have life groups. We have the, the printed word. We have podcasts. You, you have a couple of pastors that love you. Passing the baton, the call. So the question is, who has you? Paul wrote Timothy. Paul wrote Timothy and said, listen, these are the things you need to know. I want you to know about grace, and I want you to know about endurance. And they go together. So who's looking to you that you might pass the baton to them? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that, that we have someone like Paul who took the time and, and, and really invested in other people around him. We thank you that you called Timothy forth uh, into being a pastor and, 
and to be one who would impact others, and that you did. You impacted others through him, and, and they impacted people. And Father, we acknowledge that each one of us has been gifted by your Holy Spirit, that we would each be light in darkness, that we would all be salt in this earth, that we would be disciple-makers, witnesses of Christ in this world. Would you continue to remind us of the grace that is ours in Christ? And may we be strengthened by it, that we would endure all suffering for the sake of others, for your glory in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.